0: true collaboration and the benefits of coaching are closely intertwined there, and then that's where parents want to be involved.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing
0: Did you know that there's a thing called School Choice Week?
1: Actually, I did know about that School Choice Week. (laughs) It's
0: kind of interesting in that last week in January, I believe. Right. Groups all over the country. Thousands of groups. Thousands of groups, schools, charter school groups, try to promote to the public their options. Right. And I find this whole idea fascinating because... 20 years ago, this probably would not have existed, or if it did, it wouldn't have got much traction. So if we were to just look at the educational demographic over the last 20 years, that would be, I think, the biggest thing we would notice is options.
1: Exactly, yep.
0: More and more and more people are discovering that you, you don't have to either just put your kids in school and shut up and go away, <laughs> or pull them completely out of school and isolate yourself and teach them at home and pretend you don't exist.
1: Yes, we we had a conversation earlier before we hit the record button about this huge spectrum of options. And what I love about all the options is that it really does come down to what the parents believe is best for their children.
0: And it fits so well, in a way, with the modern kind of more progressive Hmm. attitude about education. You and I have been to conferences where they'll have a whole session on, what's it called? Differentiated instruction. Yes. These are buzzwords Mm -hmm. in in the world of education right now, particularly in special ed. Right. But it's it's based on this one interesting idea. Children are different. (laughs) I think
1: every parent who
0: has more than one knows that. And so while we're seeing... That being addressed, you know, at the classroom level, at the teacher level, the parents certainly become aware of this and start to wonder, how come the thing I used with this kid didn't Mm -hmm. work with this other one? It's becoming institutionally acknowledged as well. Right. So that there are options that range from your elite boarding school all the way through full-time private school. There's part-time private school, right, hybrid schools hybrid schools hybrid schools all the way up to say organized co-ops and then there's disorganized co-ops <laughs> and then there's people who like to you know, kind of just do it on on their own exactly and so these are meeting the needs mm-hmm. of so many and i'm i'm interesting in that you know over the years with seven <laughs> kids and and homeschooling for i don't know when you begin to count but 20-some years. Mm. I think we've been in every single category there for a short time or a long time. And and some kids in one, some kids other. It's interesting how many folks will meet at a conference and they'll say, well, you know, I have four children. I'm homeschooling two of them. Exactly. And the other one's in this private school and the other one's in the public school here. And it is interesting to note that, that parents are much more involved in making the choices and considering all the options. And I I personally think that's a a very good thing. Yes. very good thing. And that governments, local, state, federal, should all support options. Yes. And then we can acknowledge the fact that all children are different. Right. (laughs) But it does raise one question, and you were wanting to talk a little bit about parents as teachers, whether they are homeschooling whether they're in a, a hybrid or a co-op type of thing, or whether their kids are full-time school, they are involved. Yes. And they should be involved. Yes. And I'm going to go a little bit out on a, a limb here. Okay. But there's some interesting statistics that are sometimes misrepresentative or misunderstood by people. And that is that homeschoolers do better than public school students on all standardized tests. I've seen those. Okay. And that's pretty well established. And then depending on which survey and which research, it varies according to how much better. But one of my good friends, who's also in the, uh, the homeschool world, was homeschooled himself, now runs a small publishing company, he pointed out that if you separate the families with two parents at home Mm -hmm. middle class and up two parent families whose kids are in public school and you compare those kids with homeschool kids there's very little difference interesting so what is it what's what's the thing Mm -hmm. it's having parents involved in education right wherever that is
1: my daughter-in-law was a school teacher for a couple years you know she works for us now and she really struggled with the difference she saw in the students of parents who were involved or parents, or in some cases, grandparents that were not. It was very difficult. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so many children today don't necessarily have two parents at home. Right. And we're not casting blame in the world, but mm-hmm. there is that element of stability. And I think that carries over mm-hmm. into, did you do your homework? Mm -hmm. Can I help you with your homework? Exactly. Can I see your homework? (laughs) Do you have homework? (laughs) And on one end, you know, teachers are generally very grateful for parents who are involved that way. Yes. Even in the homeschool co-op thing, sometimes we have to ask those same questions. Did you do your homework? Mm -hmm. Can I help you? Mm
1: -hmm. Do you have
0: any homework? (laughs) So we see it, you know, whether it's a classroom or, or other environment. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are teachers who are concerned about parents doing the mm, homework essentially. Right, yeah. You know. And so it's a paradox. You know, how do you help a child? How do you be involved? How do you try to ensure their success without what would you call it, unfairly advantaging them by doing the homework
1: right, of course. and
0: getting the good grades. In the home school situation, that's a little bit less Of an issue because you know that you're helping the child until they become independent. A child is in a classroom or a class situation and the teacher thinks, well this kid didn't write this. Mm -hmm. You know, mom did it, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's too good.
1: Because the teacher didn't teach them those concepts?
0: Well, or it's just too different from what the child is doing in the class to what they come back with from home. And, and so that's, a, that's always a question. It's always an issue. Of course, you know my philosophy about withholding help. Exactly. And that is don't do
1: it. And that's something you talk about in the four deadly errors. In the four
0: deadly errors, you can't, I mean, technically, if you look at it very objectively and analytically, it isn't possible to actually help a child too much because they will always tell you when they don't need help.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So independence in the skill is built up through kind of experience, through a critical mass of doing it with help and being successful and understanding how to do it through that imitation and help. Mm -hmm. And at some point you hit that where, you know, every kid says it. Okay, right. I got it. <laughs> right. Leave me alone.
1: Yep, I'm not tying my son's shoes anymore. <laughs> that's, and,
0: and that's natural. That's just a natural part of education mm-hmm. of growing up is when they, they demand independence because they believe they can do it. Mm-hmm. And they won't really be comfortable being thrust prematurely into independence. Mm-hmm. The problem would come is, what if you've got a class of children and some of them are getting so much help that it appears that, yes, you know, a parent is overly involved here right. uh-huh. versus other kids who aren't, and now you're forced to compare these children and look at the product of their work and, and teach them in the same group every day after day. Sure. That's, that's the dichotomy. That's the problem.
1: So we acknowledge that we need differentiated instruction and acknowledge that children are all different, but yet sometimes putting them in that classroom environment can work against you.
0: Yeah. So, you know, in terms of our audience, you know, who people listening to Mm -hmm. this podcast, I suppose we could talk a little bit about what are some varying levels of help, whether they are at home alone, in a co op or a hybrid school, or in a full time school. Right. And you want to help them so that they will be successful. And success is often self-perceived as well. Mm. Sometimes we judge success by the grade. Sure. You know, if you got an A, well, you must be successful. (laughs) But on the other hand, if you had a good experience, that also is a measure of success because that's what is going to cause you to want to do that thing again, which is why, and I suppose we should do a podcast someday on on the very unpleasant subject of, of grading. Yes. Marking papers and, mm-hmm. and grading and grades. And if you really have to do it, what's the best way? Yep. But for parents who have kids in school and they have writing assignments without doing the whole thing for them, how can They help their children. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the question. Don't we get that question a lot?
1: Yes. Yes. Do you have anything to help me? I have my kids enrolled in school, and they just don't seem to teach writing at the level that I think they need to learn how to write. And you guys know how to teach writing. Help me.
0: Yeah. Well, the easy answer would be, (laughs) buy the student writing intensive and do that. So we could, I mean, that would be kind of a starting point. But Mm -hmm. I would like to pull back and maybe address... A couple basic principles that would apply immediately to coaching children, even if they're not using yet our structure and style system.
1: That'd be wonderful.
0: The first thing is going to, I think, be self-evident, and yet we very often don't notice when we fail to do it, and that is to separate complexity. We've had a few conversations where we've talked about how Writing is a very, very sophisticated and complex thing. You have to get an idea from somewhere, have a memory, have a thought, read something, and that then has to be translated into words, into sentences with vocabulary and syntax that are (laughs) comprehensible by the person who's going to write this.
1: Just you describing that right now makes me wonder how anyone could write anything. Oh, yeah, but we haven't even started. <laughs> okay. Because once you translate it
0: into words, you then have to articulate that, mm-hmm. at least mentally, right? And and so you kind of have to say to yourself what mm-hmm. you thought. Mm-hmm. And if it's coming from an abstract thing, like a vacation where you were, you know, on a beach, and it, it's a visual kinesthetic sensory memory, you have to have the tools to take all that and put that into words that will convey some degree of that, mm-hmm. you know, what did you see, what did you hear, what did you feel, what did mm-hmm. you taste or smell? How do you get that into words? That, that right there is tough. Yep. But then you you do that, then you have to hear internally what you said to yourself. And then you have to remember what you said to yourself long enough to start writing down the first words that you said. (laughs) And then if you forget what you said to yourself halfway through writing it down, you got to back up and sometimes go all the way back and reconstruct that whole Mm -hmm. memory, that whole process of translating thought into words. Mm -hmm. Say it to yourself again, hopefully in the same way. And continue, right? Right. When you think about it, like you said, it's amazing (laughs) that we can do this. Yes. And uh, so, you know, where does it become overwhelming? Mm -hmm. Well, it becomes overwhelming when someone says, do that all at once. Right. And then you can't. Mm -hmm. And it could be a glitch in the whole, anywhere in that whole system. It could be a difficulty getting the idea into the words. It can be a vocabulary issue, right? Kids just don't have enough words. That's what we find with, say, in the second language yes. teaching situation is their vocabularies are so small, they don't have the capacity to take huge mm-hmm. thoughts or feelings or experiences or ideas and get them into words that do justice to that mm-hmm. so they're frustrated.
1: In in English, because they're English language yeah. learners. They can do that in their language.
0: It can also be a problem of getting those... Words into correct sentences. Yes, they have to have the grammar, the inherent grammar database to do that. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, if their if their language database is lacking or damaged, then the, that can be the problem right there. Mm-hmm. Then it can also be an issue sometimes with memory. You say something to yourself, but then <laughs> you get distracted. Yeah. You know, a little bit of ADD in there, and. <laughs> I have no idea what
1: I just said. Right. But whatever I said, it was pretty good. I wish I could remember Yeah, I wish I could.
0: (laughs) So now you have to go back and reconstruct that whole thing. So it can be a memory issue. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it can move into a visual mechanical problem where, okay, I heard what I said. I remember what I said, but I have no idea how to write this letter. Is it a B or a D? Man, does it go this way or that way? Right. Right. Or I can't make letters that I can read once I've written them you know <laughs> right. so Describe you've got that, that issue going yeah. on or it could be I have no idea how to spell this word mm-hmm. now how do I write a word I don't know how to spell right well if I guess I'm probably wrong so I better think of a different word that isn't so hard to spell and now you've broken down the structure of the sentence you said to yourself by changing or, or simplifying the words so Do you see, when you contemplate the complexity of the activity of writing, Mm -hmm. you just think, wow, no wonder kids get overwhelmed and stressed when people throw paper at them and say, write.
1: What we need is a system of teaching writing that takes this (laughs) complex activity and breaks it down to smaller
0: steps. Absolutely, absolutely. So the first thing that parents can do is they can help the child put the concepts into the words. Yes. So tell me what you remember. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me mm-hmm. what you imagine. Tell me what you want to say. And and what we would recommend, of course, is that the parent to do this in the, the most helpful way, not write down the whole sentences or write down verbatim what the child says. Instead, learn to make what we call the key word outline. So a child says seagulls fighting over the dead fish at the beach Mm -hmm. great what what a good image Mm -hmm. then don't write that write Mm -hmm. seagulls fight dead and a little picture of a fish Mm -hmm. so now you've recorded the concept for the child you've given them the keywords they're going to need to recreate that but you haven't limited the way in which they're going to do that okay what else you know at the beach and you can you could get five or six or seven or ten or however many you want Keyword kind of ideas on that experience of the beach. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you've solved the biggest problem.
1: I don't know what to write.
0: Now the child knows what to write. Mm-hmm. It's all right there. Right. You don't have to rethink, you don't have to go find it again. Mm-hmm. You've got the keywords.
1: Well, and especially if they've dictated language to you with those big words, that's that interesting vocabulary, you've copied it down from their brain and you've spelled it correctly so they can then translate that.
0: Exactly. So now, most kids, you give them that and say, okay, write these into sentences Mm -hmm. and they're going to do fine. Mm -hmm. Some students may still have trouble putting all the little words in that are going to make the complete sentence. So mm-hmm. telling it through again, okay, let's talk through the keyword outline. Yep. Maybe you'll add in a little more detail that you remember. If a child says it in a very awkward or incorrect way, then the, the coach the parent, the teaching person, can model the correct way to phrase something mm-hmm. and say, oh, say it this way or try it this way. And dictate and repeat back, dictate, repeat back. Right. So so you're modeling at a very tight level the correct or more elegant way mm-hmm. to put those words into sentences. Then all that has been swirling around in the brain as complete sentences. So when the child goes to write it down now, he's got that advantage of kind of pre-hearing the whole thing, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, you can take it one step further and... And to do this, really, the, the parent, the teaching person, the coach, whoever's doing this, really does need to have learned our system. Mm-hmm. I, I, we can't teach this whole thing over, you know, 10 <laughs> minutes in a podcast. Right. But we do have the stylistic techniques. Mm-hmm. And so these can be introduced one by one as they become easy and gradually build up a repertoire so that the child would have a little checklist Uh, and not even a child, this would work with adult students, this would work with adult ELL students, this would work with college students. You have a checklist, okay, when I write this, these sentences into a paragraph, somewhere in here I'm trying to fit these particular things. An LY, who, which, a strong verb, because clause, quality adjective, adverb clause.
1: Dripped in, easy plus one. Easy plus one. (laughs)
0: And we give the word list. Mm -hmm. One of the most useless things that you'll sometimes hear people say when trying to help a child is, can't you think of a better word here? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, no. The child's mental response, if they don't say it out loud, at least they're thinking, if I could have thought of a better word, I would have thought of a better Mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. So just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Right. But see, then we feel like, oh, no, that's helping too much. Mm. If I dictate the thing, Mm -hmm. then now is it his writing or does it become more my writing? So you get into that danger zone. The solution is list of words. So when you have a list of synonyms for said, for example, or you have a list of LY words that are kind of appropriate for this content. Okay, now the child's got a dozen options. He can choose one and put it in, and it might be a word that he never would have thought of on his own, so is it his writing or not, but you didn't feed it to him directly. You put it on a list or provided a list that had options, and of course, how do we learn to do anything? By doing it, how do we learn to use words that we don't know? By using them. Right. And I always like to 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 kind of paint the little picture for people. You know, when you use word lists and a child has to do something, I need a strong verb. Okay, here's some weak, lame, lousy ones. Here's some substitutes. The word hops off the list through the brain and into the paper. Mm -hmm. Right? And the child writes a word they would not have been able to think of on their own at that moment, and they sound smarter than they Mm-hmm. at that right. moment. Right. Is that fair? Is that legal? Mm-hmm. But what happens is if those words hop off lists through the brain into the paper a few times over a course of weeks, months, or years, those words move from a passive vocabulary, i.e. I kind of know what they mean, to an active vocabulary. Right. I can put that on paper. I can speak that word with confidence. Right. And so word lists are not just temporary, but they're permanent brain expanders, right? thought expanders, if right. you will. So that would be the second thing I think parents could do to help students, even if the assignment comes from an external source, right. a co-op class. They go to school and get writing assignments. They're an online class. They're a high school student in a dual enrollment taking a composition course at, at the university. These principles will apply to anyone. Number one, separate the complexity. First, figure out what you're going to say. Make an outline. The fewer words, the better. Honestly, keywords work beautifully. Mm -hmm. Because if you write down, I saw seagulls pecking at and fighting over dead fish. And if you write that whole thing and that's your outline, (laughs) well, when you go to write the composition, what are you going to have? I saw seagulls pecking at and fighting over the dead fish.
1: Not very stylish. But
0: if you just have seagulls pecking dead and and a fish... Now you've got options, mm-hmm. right? Oh, let's put an L-Y in there. Noisily screeching and violently pecking <laughs> at dead fish. The seagulls, strong verb, continuously sparred with each other over the prize morsels.
1: <laughs> You're such a boy. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but you see, the fewer the words in the, ch- in the outline, the more creativity will be possible when it's written out into the prose
1: right and what what you're describing right there i've actually done that with my nieces and nephews i don't do it too too often now because when we moved we kind of left them all behind oh. but you know i'd to sit down and oh, do you have homework can i help you <laughs> and you know i'd read the assignment and of course they were stuck and stumped and they didn't want to do it and i said well let's just let's just talk about it and I would do exactly that. I would ask them the questions and create the keyword outline and hand it back to them and have them tell it back to me. And then off they went and they were they were perfectly happy. Of course, then my sister called and said, Can you do that again? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, How about this? <laughs> How about you do that?
0: <laughs> yeah. And it I think we all as adults are very aware that it's seldom in our adult professional working vocation w- life mm-hmm. that we do something completely alone
1: right so true
0: i mean we how do we how do we do things in the world <laughs> we do them together we do them with other people mm-hmm. we talk to each other to clarify ideas we write and then have someone else edit and give feedback and mm-hmm. rewrite we have conversations that clarify purpose, goals, and ultimately create a product. And I think it's a little odd that in the real world, it's so much about collaboration collaboration, and communication mm-hmm. and maximizing talents mm-hmm. in synchronicity with other people's talents. And still in schools, there's so much of this, you have to do it all by yourself. Yeah. Sink or swim good luck. <laughs> and I don't think that's where we get the best learning experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there is a kind of push towards collaboration in some ways. Mm-hmm. In fact, that book, The Global Achievement Gap, right. by Tony Wagner, who's mm-hmm. a professor of education at Harvard, and he talked about collaboration as one of the, the I think there were five, I don't remember for sure, but one of the key uh, skills that schools should be training students for. Mm-hmm. There is the danger, though, because that and in itself collaboration is a skill that needs to be modeled. Right. You can't just throw, you know, three ten-year-olds in a room together and say, "All right, you're a team. Make it happen." <laughs> right. It requires a coach, mm-hmm. and that's again where teachers and parents can say, "Okay." let's look at the whole task, let's divide the task into parts and each person work on that and I'll be here to facilitate your thinking in that way. So I think the place we see the most likely breakdown is when you just have peers Right. And everybody's kind of the same age. Yes. And may or may not be able to help each other. Right, I I mean, peer editing Mm -hmm. can be one of the worst disasters Mm -hmm. that a writing teacher can suffer because, you know, you may give your paper to your partner or to someone else who, who has less linguistic aptitude than you do, who knows less about what you're writing about. What help can they possibly give you? Right. Whereas true collaboration and the benefits of coaching are closely intertwined there, mm-hmm. and then that's where parents want to be involved so it's going to be always a difficult kind of paradox. How do I help without helping too much? How do I help one child be successful and nobody's helping this other child and is that fair mm-hmm. um, you know how How far do I go in telling the child this is the proper way to do something as opposed to what the teacher's saying if those are in disagreement. Mm -hmm. But I would say start simple with those two ideas, separate the complexity, and then introduce gradually stylistic elements. And you should be able to do those two things without stepping on too many toes, I would hope.
1: Yes, and that can apply to, just like where we started, to any school situation. Sure. Parents helping students be successful, regardless of what educational journey they've undertaken. All right. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us.